Welcome to Simply Listen, Women in Dialogue. My name is Soomin Kim, and I hope you're having a beautiful day. I'm excited to be talking today with cellist Inbal Segev, who has thoughtfully declared herself committed to reinvigorating the cello repertoire. Inbal earned her Master of Music degree from the Yale School of Music in 1998, and has since then developed a career as purposeful as it is impressive. I'm eager to talk with Inbal about her explorations of iconic works, her dedication to bringing new music into the world, and her eagerness to share those experiences with audiences everywhere. Welcome, Inbal. Thank you, Sumin. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to see you today. Have you visited Yale since you graduated? Yeah, at least twice, if not more. Um, I actually recorded my first commercial CD with Beethoven sonatas and Boccherini sonatas there at Sprague Hall. And I just love the acoustics there. It was really fun. And then I came back uh, later with my kids to show them, you know, no pressure, but show them the campus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. You've moved to the U.S. at a young age. How was that experience for you? Because YSM has a big um, international student population. Yes, it was incredible. Um, I have learned so much. Back then, you know, I studied in uh, Aldo Parizot's class, and uh, he had the most incredible class, very strong players. We had uh, Bjorn Sang, Alexis Piagerlach. We had uh, um, Wang Jin was not a student here at the time, but he would come in and out. And uh, just wonderful cellist. Ole Akahoshi, of course, um, still on faculty. And it was just wonderful to hear those uh, amazing young cellists and just get so much inspiration from, from the class. Yeah, I'm also an international student myself. And yeah. I, <laughs> I moved to the U.S. for college in 2014 when I was 18. And then I turned 19 the day after I arrived at the U.S. Did you come alone or with your parents? I did come with my parents, but you know they That's left good. after moving me into my college dorm. Wow. Yeah. I also came alone and it was really, really hard that way. It was very much worth it, but it was it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I heard that you came here at the age of 16. Yeah. That must have been that pretty was, tough. It was, it was tough. I was really homesick at first, but I was incredibly lucky because Aldo Parizo and Elizabeth Parizo took me to their home for a year. And it was just like... A Cinderella story for me. I mean, we could have never afforded tuition. I got a scholarship and it was a great opportunity for which I will forever be grateful. So they took me to their home and uh, I kind of brushed up or got my English up to speed. And then I started at Yale when I was 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was it like uh, when you were at Yale? It was... um, totally foreign in a kind of magical way yeah um it was uh you know i grew up in jerusalem in a small town near jerusalem actually uh you know the first time i saw real snow was here the first time i we celebrated christmas was here all those things were you know we all only saw them in the movies and um just being exposed to a totally different culture was difficult, but was also a growing experience, um, as I'm sure was for you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was so 
foreign. I was so new to everything and, you know, I definitely have felt homesick and lonely and back home, you know exactly where to go for, you know, certain purposes and being in the U.S. for the first time, I just felt like a complete stranger. What, you know, yes. I'm I know. Still, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, me too. I, I remember I came to this restaurant and I asked for cola. I thought <laughs> I was sure everybody will know what cola is because this is Coke, you know, Coca-Cola. <laughs> and we call it cola. And the, I remember the, the guy at the restaurant looked at me like I fell out of from a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> so even the most basic things, I was sure I'm saying right. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because we call it cola as well in South Korea. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I am grateful for the opportunities that I've had in the U.S. And I am very thankful for the fact that I was able to assimilate pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and to be able to establish myself in this new foreign world. Um, But I also, on one hand, feel like I've lost some connections to South Korea. Yes, you know, I... I always joke that I'm, I don't feel Israeli anymore and I'm not yet really American, although I have the citizenship and I have three American kids and my husband is American. Um, but it's, um, we're sort of citizens of the world a little bit. I guess that will be the silver lining. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've definitely lost it. And every passing year, I'm less Israeli. And that saddens me sometimes. But on the other hand, um, I really like my life here in America. And I, I think the opportunities here are incredible for musicians. So I don't regret anything. Yeah, and I read a lot about you. You have launched these amazing projects, uh, such as the Bach Project and 20 for 2020. I've mentioned in the introduction, but you are very eager to bringing um, iconic works and also new music to the audience. So could you tell me more about your projects? Yes, um, the 20 for 2020 was my husband's idea. I call him my business brains. But when COVID uh, hit and all my touring and concerts were postponed or canceled, then I was like, okay, now what? And I knew that so many of my colleagues also were struggling. So we thought it would be a great idea to not only keep myself busy, but also kind of help people who need the money right now. So I, I think I'm, we're helping dozens of people, not just 20 composers that we've commissioned. We started recording and I've recorded about five of the pieces so far. I've received about 10 out of the 20 and uh, they're all wonderful and very different from each other. And um, one of the other things I really wanted to focus on is uh, reaching uh, different communities and so different ages, different backgrounds of uh, composers. So that was really important to me, uh, minorities. And so I'm really proud about that, that I sort of I spent a lot of hours listening and really finding people I connect with uh, musically. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's so inspiring to me as a new music composer myself um, that you are, you know, commissioning these new works to really capture and commemorate the deep and complex sentiments that we all shared during the year of 2020. Thank you. That was the idea, a time capsule for 2020. And um, hopefully <laughs> it's not too painful to kind of remember it so quickly now, um, but 
not all the works are heavy, definitely not. And everybody reacts to the pandemic and to the Black Lives Matter movement and to everything that we've been through this year uh, differently. You know, a couple of pieces are actually titled something to do with a room or a window because mm. you know, that's how we see the world from within now. Yeah. Um, but other people obviously focus on the events of this last summer and uh, disease. Yeah. Um, and as far as I know, you're currently located in New York. Yes. Wow. How was, how was it like <laughs> being in New York during the year of 2020 with everything happening? Pretty bad. <laughs> it's not a great place to be here right oh. now. I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, when it just struck, it was uh, sort of reminded me of 9-11 um, because everything was very quiet. Nobody was at home. And then I remember I, I went for a run and there were just um, the smell of chemicals in the air, like somebody mm. dumped a, a bunch of chemicals to clean. And I I, my nose was bleeding. It was so strong. Wow. So I was like pretty intense. And then every night at seven o'clock, people would clap for the first responders. So mm. that was really amazing. We would go on the roof and like shout and wave. Yeah. <laughs> it was a moment of kind of coming together. So we felt like we're all in it together. That was the nice part. Then now it's sort of halfway to normal maybe mm. uh restaurants are open since valentine's so that feels really good i mean the con i really miss the concerts obviously yeah i think concerts are probably the biggest thing that i miss as well what really struck me as impressive and inspiring during this period was that people somehow made it work we all found ways to make it work and I, I agree. I think also another silver lining of this time is that we all really had time to think long and hard about what we want to do when we grow up, sort of mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> like, do we really want to do it? How, how is my life looking without being a musician, which is very strange. Mm. Um, at least for the first couple of months, I was like, okay, <laughs> so that's how it is. <laughs> I don't have to practice. <laughs> Uh, what were some of the realizations that you've come across? So I definitely realized that I love playing the cello and I don't do it because of expectations from outside in any form. It makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, we're doing it because uh, there's all, all many, many reasons besides just loving it for what it is. So I realized it really is something that's part of me that I really, really deeply enjoy doing. So that was my biggest realization. I also really love collaborating with living composers. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really beautiful. So what's your experience working with living composers? I mean, what's your, how is it different from interpreting works by dead composers, I guess? You know, it's what's funny is that after you do both, you realize it shouldn't be that different. Mm. Uh, we can't pick up the phone and ask Bach what he would have done. But, uh, you know, just seeing, for example, when I recorded with Anna Klein, her concerto, she went back and forth changing dynamics on the spot. We already premiered the piece at the Cambria Festival and um, there the acoustics was completely different so she changed some dynamics back then for the winds, for example, which she changed back at the recording session. So it made me realize how uh, fluid things can be to a certain extent. 
yeah, things are not written in stone, but you have to obviously know <laughs> if you're going to go and change things that Bach wrote or Beethoven wrote, you have to come at it from a very um, educated <laughs> point of view. But, <laughs> but it was really interesting to see how the, the music on the page is, is a code and it, it doesn't tell you the full story. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I've always thought that score is just a mean of communicating what the composers want to the performers, but it's not where the music is. And the music only comes from the collaboration between the composer and the performer and the interpretation and bringing in their own experiences. Yes, absolutely. Um, and what works for one player and one concert hall and one day might not work the next one. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, could you tell me more about how playing new music shouldn't be really any different from interpreting older music? Yeah, I really uh, realized it, well, when I recorded the Bach cello suites, and that was five years ago already, and I, I came to Bach like a god, and he is mm -hmm. a god for us, you know, mm -hmm. but there's also a problem with that, because then we're very careful, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we take him very, very seriously, um, and he wrote those beautiful dances for us in the suites, performing new music uh, made me realize that those suites were also new music at one point, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, and all those different manuscripts that we're obsessed about, like this line, this, this slur was this way or that. And here, you know, some composers even asked me to write in slurs mm -hmm. quite a bit, actually, and even add some flourishes or add notes. And, you know, it's just amazed how it's a living organism that changes. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. I have a lot of string player friends and they would always talk about Bach pieces as something sacred and something that is so technically demanding, but something that they learn a lot from and they put in a lot of energy and effort into. And, and then they would complain about how new music is difficult. And I'm like, come on, you play Bach all the time. <laughs> That's probably way more difficult than, than anything else. I know the thing about new music is that we don't have a blueprint to go by, which is can be both liberating and um, difficult because you have to make your own path mm -hmm. and uh, there's no tradition to rely on. Yeah. 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 I think those two things are difficult for very different reasons. You know, Bach is played so many times and you have to bring in something new, something original, something creative, and then new music sometimes they've not been played at all so you really have to be creative with your interpretations but in the end i feel like it's all kind of similar process of just bringing in your own experiences and interpretation yeah yeah another thing i was thinking the other day is uh, you know in Bach's time you would like write a cantata every week or something like that yeah <laughs> uh, so music was almost like disposable you know of the moment Mm. And he never thought that those things will be looked at 300 years from then. Maybe he did. I don't know. But, and I thought to myself, maybe the, all the new music that I'm commissioning is also very much of the moment. And hopefully some of these works will survive the time. But right now, maybe the way to think of it is that it's now for our audience. And that's the purpose of the music right now. Mm. And yeah. not worry so much about eternity, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really beautiful. And I'm curious about what inspired you to really commit to reinvigorating the cello repertoire. 
Um, well, you know, it's funny because I feel like we have a big repertoire now. It's not mm-hmm. like maybe a hundred years ago, not so mm-hmm. much, but a lot of people wrote for cello and writing for cello and there's really strong works uh, that can keep you busy for most of your life, I would say. <laughs> um, so I guess one I'm intrigued with uh just different combinations. I've commissioned uh, cello and bandonian, cello and accordion, cello and marimba, and uh, cello and voice, cello and electronics. So I am really excited about exploring those combinations, which maybe have not been explored enough yet. Uh, And also I took care to commission from composers who didn't write a lot for cello before. Mm. so I kind of wanted to see how their voice would sound with a cello their composition voice obviously (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's super interesting um to me I'm not a string player and it's kind of intimidating when I have to write for strings because string is a whole different thing you have to think about string crossing fingerings double stops and like harmonics they're all for a non-string player very complicated things so how do you work with uh, people who've not written a lot for string instruments? That's a great question. I, uh, it depends on the composer. I don't like to be too demanding because I think each composer have their own way and I, I, I like them to work how they are most comfortable. And so some of them ask me for feedback and some don't. Some just um, give me a, a finished manuscript and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, like I received in the mail uh, um, manuscript from John Luther Adams, uh, which I'm really excited to dig into. Yeah. Um, but other composers send me samples and then we try them out. I even recorded them, send them back. So, you know, obviously if somebody asked me to help them with trying out, great. But if they don't, I'm not going to be like, hey, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that sense of trust. I tend to go to the performers a lot and they would be like, do whatever you want to do. I'll make it work. And, yeah. you know, I love that sense <laughs> of trust between the composers and the performers. Yeah. Um, on top of all these projects, you also have your own YouTube channel that you've been running for a few years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's like I had a premonition about the pandemic, but um, about five years ago, maybe three, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed that I loved learning. Still, of course, we always learn. And I loved learning from other cellists and other musicians. And But I didn't have the time to sit through an hour masterclass. So I thought, well, maybe I can just take what they said and read and, and do my own research and, and use my experience and, and bring to younger students like a 10-minute concentrated uh, lesson so that if they have one hour only to practice, they can spend maybe 10 minutes looking at this and getting ideas. So that's what I did. And it, it's really taken off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really wonderful. I've seen some content from your YouTube channel, but you interview other performers. You also upload master classes and videos of your own performances. And I think it's such an effective way especially nowadays, to communicate with the younger audience, like you mentioned. So what inspired you to sort of branch out to younger students through these sort of educational contents? I love teaching. I don't have time to teach one-on-one much. I just have a couple of students and I have three teenage kids. So, (laughs) you know, that 
two of them play instruments and it's just a lot. So <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big job. Yeah. So I thought, how can I reach a lot of people without sort of really having all those hours at the studio? And uh, that was a real good solution. And uh, I get so many thank you emails. It's really amazing from all over the world, like all over, like dozens of different countries, which is amazing. Yeah. That's really wonderful. I actually wanted to ask, so you're many things. You're not only a you know, successful performer and an entrepreneur, but you're also a mother of three children. And I feel like that's, um, that's something that not a lot of people talk about in the classical music field, especially how do you have children and still have a successful career, especially for, for women? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I have a very supportive husband. And um, I don't tour 100 days a year. <laughs> so I tour 30, yeah, I have 30 concerts a year. And then on those years, I even feel like I don't see my family enough. Uh, although this, this year was really nice to spend some quiet time at home with the kids. Yeah, yeah I would assume. Yeah, you know, uh, 10 years ago, my husband's like, why don't you write what you want to achieve in five years and in 10 years? You know, a lot of people do that. So I did. And I said, well, I want to play 100 concerts a year. Mm-hmm. And out of those, 20 will be concertos and la, 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 or 50, whatever. And then a couple of years, a few years after, I found myself completely swamped with work with 30 concerts a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, be careful what you wish for, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, it was a really uh, good learning experience. Yeah. Um, I have another question. This is just, I'm personally curious to hear your answer. Um, What is something that you care about? I uh, care about, um, (laughs) a little pretentious would be to make the world a better place in my own little way. Um, Just, Whatever I can do, I know I can do much, but I think a lot lately about what is really my reason to be and why am I cellist and who is this helping? Is it helping anybody? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I try to make it reach to people and make their lives better, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's really beautiful. I think that's something that a lot of musicians experience. I certainly have thought that myself. I'm like, what am I doing with my music? You know, how is this helping people? But, you know, like you said, we all do what we can do. And yeah. Um, Could you tell us about your upcoming projects and where we can find you? Yes. So uh, the 20 for 2020 is going to be released under a V Records uh, this June, end of June. And then um, just my musings channel on YouTube in balsegev.com is my website. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to those 20 for 2020 pieces. Thank you. Thanks very much. This has been wonderful. I had a lot of fun getting to know you. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I will look forward to hearing your music and we'll see you on stage soon. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. That would be amazing. Thank you, YSM community, for simply listening. Join me next week for a conversation with soprano Leah Hawkins. Until then, be well. <laughs>